couple of more announcements. You know that Pastor Tony and Carol are in Denmark this weekend, giving it their best. Not heard from him, so he can't be dead. The world can't have fallen in. The sky couldn't have had a chicky licky moment because he's not asked for SOS prayer. So we just pray that that's going well. So it's good as the brothers join and link together in Isaac across Europe. It's good stuff. Thursday, authentic. Authentic groups are back on. Attention if you're in my group. My group, you've already had an email, but I'll just tell you again. We are not meeting at David and Veronica's for obvious reasons. We are meeting in the Legacy Centre. Where is the Legacy Centre? Gareth, where's the Legacy Centre? Next door. Because for many people, they just know it as the coffee shop. The Legacy Centre is next door. So if we didn't uh, convey that properly, the Legacy Centre is the building next door. Normal time, nothing changes, we just change venue. Okay? One more thing and then we finished. On the 23rd of this month is our first Stronger Night. Put your hand up if you know what I'm talking about. So there's a bunch of you who don't know what we're talking about. What we look to do as part and parcel of turning the church inside out is to take practical help with the wisdom of God wrapped in the gospel and take it back to our community. Well, thank you for your underwhelming response. I'm glad to see we didn't ask you. We are going outside... The girls, when they were on Lime Square, asked people, is there any help you can bring? And I think there was either eight or ten names where people put down and said, I am willing to come to church if you can help me in these areas. So we're starting to scratch where they're itching. All right, so we're still not with this one, are we? So we are looking at lots of practical things. Marriage, relationships, Troublesome teenagers. Still no amens yet? Okay, right, we'll find something on the line. Okay, we are looking at basic budgeting. Keeping your kids safe online. All right, fine. These are all skills that we have in-house that we kind of think, yes, but it's not the gospel. It is the gospel. We are using a vehicle to bring it and show the love of Jesus Christ in a different way. So the first one is basic budgeting. Now I'm telling you now, basic budgeting is not basic. Do you know if it was basic, you'd all make it work and you wouldn't be skint. Still no amens. All right. So we are looking, we don't need a calculator, we don't need a GCSE or an A-level in maths. We are looking at basic principles of how to balance the books. It's a taste of night, it's an hour and a half. If people want it, we'll run it for a couple of weeks after that with more depth. But we're looking at, and we'll just leave you with a taster, the three things that they won't tell you. Who's they? You'd have to turn up on the night to find out. Now... Up to Friday, I think it was, we'd put this on Facebook, we pushed it out. It had 1,850 views. Now, nobody had sent an email back said I'm coming, but it had 1,850 views. Now, we might get here on the 23rd, and it might be rammed. We might get here, and there's no one. So, guess who I need? Some of you... If you can give your name to Anne's later and just say, I'll come, because maybe, maybe it might just help you. Yeah. 
it might just help you because this is not just about them, it's about us as well. Amen. So it's going to be Wednesday the 23rd in the Legacy Center next door. We'll have tea, we'll have coffee, we'll have biscuits, we'll have whatever. And we'll have our first connection of turn the house inside out. And the people of God said, Amen. those who are going, 7.30. Emma, I saw that again. I witnessed you again in there. Every time she passes. Every time. Are we all sat comfortably? Good. Stand up for me, please. I want you to connect with me in the area of your spirit this morning. Is that all right? I don't want your head. Your head will help. But I want your spirit because you capture in your spirit, your head has to play catch up, yeah? So many times we're trying to put it all in our head and what did Phil talk about or Tony talk about or what scripture was it? And we can't remember by the time we're on our brew in the coffee shop, but when it connects to our spirits, then something is sticky. So I want us to do a prophetic activation this morning. Bear with me, don't think I've gone nuts. I have gone nuts, you already knew that. We celebrated that a long time ago. What I want you to do is almost see in your mind's eye, almost like Superman, you pull open. So we're going to pull open our hearts this morning and say, my God, Holy Ghost, I want to connect you in my spirit and I pray just touch me right there. Can we agree with that? Have I not got too weird? Okay, right, so let's just do that prophetic activation right now. Lord, Father, open my heart again. I pray, Holy Ghost, connect me with my spirit. Cause your word to touch me on the inside. Cause it to me good. Father, we have already prayed that you answer me because you love me. I pray this morning that your word will touch me, transform me, change me from the inside out. And the people of God said, Amen. 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 Okay, take your seats. Do you know when you look at your watch and you already think, I don't think I've got enough time? But we'll get there. We'll get there. So are you ready? Okay. I said, are you ready? Remember our saying, don't bear with me, build with me. Okay, you've just, we've opened something. So let's start to get connected. Remember the truth of last time we spoke, we brought something that said, he is no longer with me. So some of us were around, some of us wasn't around. He is no longer with me, but in me. Me and my Father will make our abode in you. The Holy Ghost has been given me as a deposit, guaranteeing the inheritance. The entire DNA of heaven lives in you. I said the entire DNA of heaven lives in you this morning. 
And this is what we declared. We said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. There is no life found outside of Jesus Christ. In him we live and move and have our being. The enemy will try and do everything to keep you on the outside of Christ. I become self-reliant, self-built, self-sufficient, selfish, and self-indulgent. There's one key word in all of that, self. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We could stop there. We could say, right, we finished, we preached today. There's life found just in him. But we made this prophetic declaration last time when we preached, and it was this. We prophesied that the fire of the Holy Ghost is ready to fall on the Dream Center. I said, the fire of the Holy Ghost is ready to fall on the Dream Center. Do you know who that means, don't you? Oh, yeah, right. So it's not, we don't. Some days we say, pray, Lord, we pray. Burn the building. Burn it, Lord. This, this, this piece that has kept us and loved us and sheltered us for years, it needs a bit of help. You would not, well, I'm not even going to tell you how much money we have put into this bucket to keep it the way that it is. But it's a place where God still and continually meets us. Amen. But when he says he's going to fall on the dream center, he is not talking of the bricks and mortar. He's talking about you and me. Oh, bless him. That fire will consume, it will purify, it will cleanse, it will stir, and it prepares the ground for new seed. The fire of reformation and the rising of sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. The season is upon us. The season is upon us. One of the guys, I think it was Lisa, read the scripture this morning that we'd used in the prayer meeting from Jeremiah. It says, then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word in my heart was like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary on holding it back, and I could not. See, we use the Mancunian translation of this scripture, tell your face. When that fire of his word is burning on the inside, you cannot keep it silent. You cannot keep it silent. Silence is not an option for the dream center or you as an individual in it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I think I might need to move forward because it seems this morning like waves. We don't get past the first two or three rows. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so this morning. His word in you is life. In him we have that life. And that life is the light of men as we've already declared. Now remember, we're covering all this in a nutshell. That when you get through the first five chapters of Acts, you see that the fire fell for them in the upper room. From the upper room, they went to the marketplace. From the marketplace, they went to the temple. From the temple, they went to house to house. 
from house to house. They went to every house. From every house, they filled the city. From filling the city, by the time you've got to Acts chapter 8 or 9, it turns around and says, And the men who turned the world upside down have come here also. Whoa. It started with some people in the upper room and then the men who turned the world upside down. Now remember, when it's saying men, it's not speaking of men. It's speaking of mankind. It's man and woman. Woman was Adam just as much as Adam was. Come on, ladies, give me an amen. It's speaking of you as well. That when we carry that word out, you are the ones who turn the world upside down. Do you know why you turn the world upside down? Because your world got turned upside down. When I met him, when I met the fire, when I met the life, life, everything changed. And then I finished, and whether you picked up on this or you didn't, I gave you a warning. I gave you a warning from scripture that turns around and says, And the Lord said to Noah, I am sending a flood. So Noah declares, for how long? Different translation between 100 and 120 years. He's building a boat when it's never rained and there has never been a boat before. Me thinks it might be on Facebook. Me thinks that the local news might have been out a few times, even to come and see the crazy person building a boat. But when the flood came, after all of his declaration of saying that a flood was going to come, how many were found in the ark? Eight. 100 to 120 years of declaring a word that God was going to turn up, eight people responded. In Jesus Christ, how many times or how many people did Jesus Christ met in the three and a half years of his ministry? How many? Hundreds of thousands? Do you think that would be fair? Most theologians turned around and said that they believe that John the Baptist would have baptized up to a million people. So I think we're being conservative to say that Jesus might have met a couple of hundred thousand people. So he meets a couple of hundred thousand people. We have the death and resurrection. He appears and says, remain here. Oh, by the way, 1 Corinthians tells us, chapter 5, it says that he appeared to more than 500 people after his resurrection. How many? Of each is still alive and a witness to the event. Read it in Corinthians. More than 500. So why was there 120 people in the upper room? Sophia is coming to the dream center. But will you be here when it falls? No, right, right. Hey, I'm not looking to kick you this morning. I'm letting you know, Pastor Tony used the word last week. He said, I don't want to be offensive, but the Dream Center is on the change. And there is some fire coming. You might not be having your crying moment, ladies. But there is a fire coming. And will you be consumable material when it falls? It's not time to turn around and say, guess what? In the Holy Ghost, I'm Teflon coated. Nothing sticks and I get burnt. There is a new pan. I don't know if you've seen the advert. If you walk through Asda and you see the JLS TVs, they've got the pan. It's a stone pan. It's brown in colour and they're burning plastic in it. They're doing all this stuff. And they're going, 
Look at it. You cannot affect this pan. If your life is not affected by the heat of the Holy Ghost, something is wrong. It's not something to shout about that says, oh, when the Holy Ghost turns up, it doesn't affect me. This will. Bless his name. Sorry, ready to come around the word? I've done my introduction now. I'm ready. Ready to go. If you have your Bibles with you, John, got his arm up. No. No. Thank you. If it fits later, John, we'll fit it. Please, I'm not looking to be dismissive to somebody there, but we're going in a set direction. Is that all right? Turn with me in your Bible to Luke 24. I want to bring something to you this morning that the Holy Ghost has arrested me on. So I'm no apologies for being giddy this morning because I know whereas before I've been trying to wind myself in, I have no intention of winding myself in this morning. I'm going to be winding myself out. So is that all right? Ephesians 24, verse 13. We're going to look at the road, sorry, Luke 24. Just testing so you were listening. You were listening, that's fine. We're on the road to Emmaus. Is that all right? Now, that same day. What day? What day is the same day? It's the day of the resurrection. When you read the context of the scripture that come before, it is the third day Jesus has just risen from dead. So on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. So it's a bit like our kid-sponsored walk. It's Ashton to Marple. Try and think there or thereabouts of how far they're traveling on that day. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still with their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of, some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther. 
But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those who were with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen as appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them. And then when he broke bread, sorry about that, when he broke bread, let's set the scene. It's Resurrection Sunday. Put in your mind's eye. I know we've just read a chunk of scripture. Don't worry about that. Let's not get lost in how big the scripture was. We'll pick in and out as and when we need The scripture turns around and makes this declaration. Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. True? I don't need to turn to the biblical reference, do I? And after the third temptation, before the angels come and minister to Jesus Christ, it says of Satan, and Satan left him and waited for a season or opportune time. That opportune time was now. Think of seven days in the life of Jerusalem. There is a cooking pot, a cauldron of all hell and heaven breaking out all in one environment. You have just had the triumphal entry. You've had it when they're declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. He comes in on the foal. They're laying down their garments. They're laying down the olive branches. All of Jerusalem says he is the king of glory. Then it comes to the state where Judas Iscariot betrays Jesus Christ. He betrays him for 30 pieces of, of silver. Jesus and his disciples are in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus crying out and sweating as if drops of blood as he cries to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. Are you with me on the scene? Are you with me on the scene? He cries out and he says, "My oh Lord, guys, I've been with you. Could you not tarry with me for one hour? Could you not pray for one hour? But pours out and he lays down the greatest sacrifice that a man can ever give. His free will. He lays down not my will, but your will be done. They come and they arrest him in the garden. They take him. And in taking him, they then cause him to be accused falsely. They rip the hair out of his face. They beat him. They flog him. They whip him. Now stand back in the the very portal of heaven. Michael, the warrior archangel. All it takes, just one word, Lord, just one word, and let me draw the sword and go and bring back the son of glory. All of heaven and earth, hell, are colliding in this one moment. Heaven knows that he must respond to be the sacrifice once and for all for mankind. Hell is rejoicing. Think that it's got that victory moment. When it turns around and said, the head of this serpent is bruised, he has no revelation or understanding what this son of glory will do. For if they knew, they would never have crucified him, says the scripture. Yeah. 
They take him. They beat him. They parade him through. He's lost all of his energy. He can't carry the cross. He falls to his knees. The man has to carry the cross. They take him. They nail him to the cross. They beat him. They, they slander him. They give him their wine vinegar. They stab him in the side with a spear. Do we get the moment of what's happening? All in one time. All of an uproar in a city. The city is turned upside down. We have the death and resurrection. It's the Sabbath. So they have to go and ask Pilate, can we have his body? So they put his body in the tomb. We'll come back to it. Then the Pharisees run up and they say, we heard that this man, this liar, this deceiver would say that he would rise, up, rise on the third day. And this delusion and deception would be worse than everything he did before. So we're going to put him in the tomb. We're going to put the stone. We're going to set guards on the tomb. And we get in the story. They put the guards on the tomb three days later. The Sabbath's over. The women come back to the tomb to anoint his body. When they come to anoint his body, the stone is rolled away. The, the, the women, depending on which translation, they see what they think is the gardener where Jesus Christ appears and he says, Mary, do not lay hold on me. Why? Because I have not yet been presented to my father. Are we still getting the story? They run back. They run back to the disciples, the ones who wouldn't stand with him and fled. Only one stood with him. John, the disciple who he loved, he was the one found at the cross. Why? For another day, the man carried positions of power and authority. It was John who was in the house of the high priest. It was John who allowed Peter through the the doors so that he could stand in the fire where he was accused of the servant girl. John had power and authority in the land he lived. They run to the disciples. It says that Peter runs. Just get that whole thing. He said that you'll betray me. No, I won't. You love me. No, I don't. And he's running to the tomb. He runs to the tomb and the tomb is empty. And then the story kicks on. We now find, and two of them are on this road to Emmaus. All of that backdrop, and I'm still found going in the wrong direction. They're even telling Jesus, when they've seen him, about all that would happen. It's the third day. And what happens on the third day, may I ask? Well, isn't that when they said that he would be resurrected? And you know, there was even women said that his grave was empty. And we're still going the wrong way. Disappointment, lost hope, frustration will change the condition of your heart. At best, it will cause you to be blinkered. At worst, it causes you to be blinded. And we then start to misinterpret and misread history. This is why we need that stability in the body. Pastor Tony talks about emotional stability. And we go, yeah, well, you're using a bit of a psychological babble there, Tony, aren't you? Emotional stability. Okay. Am I called to be like Jesus Christ? In him, there is no shadow of turning or variableness. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I like to think he might be quite consistent. So in that consistency, he's looking for consistency in me. Do not misread your season. 
Do not misread your season. Get ready for the fire. Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 7 declares this. Even the stalk in the sky knows her appointed season. And the dove and the swift and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. Creation knows what it's supposed to do when it's supposed to do it. But his people, he's still waiting to sort yourself out. And when I say that, I'm talking to me. Will you know the requirements of the Lord? I don't know if you've ever read a very, very important passage of Scripture. Do you know that the enemy tries to mess with the calendar of mankind? Yeah. Oh, we're going quiet now. Do you know the enemy tries to mess with the calendar of mankind? We know that God's timing is always perfect. He's always in time and on time. He's never early and he's never late. You might think, God, you cut that fine, but he's always on time. So let me read you a scripture and you can do your own research on this one. Daniel chapter 7 verse 25 says this, speaking of the enemy, and he will speak out against the Most High and he will wear down the saints of the Most High. Have I got an amen? Any of you go, my God, I can't take much more of this. I am pushing water uphill like a good one. There's not much left. It says he comes to wear out the saints most high. And he intends to make alterations in time. The enemy is looking to delay your breakthrough, to delay your encounter, to delay your God-given season. If the enemy can keep you busy doing something else, you miss your season. Right, let me just help you here a second. God's ways are not my ways, and his thoughts are not my thoughts. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Okay, so I don't care if you've got a degree. Is that? I don't care if you're scientific. I don't care if you're David Attenborough, right? Because it turns around and says this: when God sets seasons, He sets seasons in place. Okay. So let's start to balance that one. Let's start with God doing maths one on one. One can chase a thousand. Two can chase. Well, that maths doesn't work, does it? Because surely it's compounded by two and not compounded by ten. So God doesn't work to your maths. We're the ones who turn around and say, when we read from Genesis, and these things will remain seed time and, which means spring, help me, summer, autumn, and winter. Not in God's book. Yes. Because he's speaking to mankind and not you. So let me help you. So Chris is like a tree planted by rivers of living water. Who will bear fruit? Every month. He doesn't have to wait till one time a year. Every month he produces because God says I work on seasons. Do not say four more months and then the harvest. 
The harvest is ready. God doesn't work to your time frame. He doesn't work to your timeline. The enemy would look to keep you in a delayed season. These people on the road are missing all that's going on. But God has set an expiry date on the work of the enemy. We sang part of the song this morning. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. If you read the verses that go on beyond that, it says that the enemy knows that his time is short. Okay, for another day. It's your job and my job to enforce the mandates and precepts of God. Amen? Destiny is at stake. I said destiny is at stake. Jesus leaves the environment of everything breaking out to find these two doesn't even call them disciples. And there were two. If you look in your Bible hub or whatever you want to look at for research, I think in three versions it says followers. And there were two followers of Jesus Christ. They're not even in the disciple bracket, but Jesus Christ moves from Jerusalem to find them and arrest them where they are on that road. It's so so key that at times we as we said before misread and misrepresent seasons and situations we're going through because we lose sight of who he is and what he's doing in our midst so we arrest them on the road to Emmaus some have to go back and finish what you have started others have not started yet But the journey is still a turning around. Please, please, please do not bang the drum of personal destiny. God, what is my destiny? What am I called to do? Lord, when is it me? Who cares about you in the right sense? He sets you in a body, in a local house, fulfill the purposes of that local house. What has been the mandate from the start of the year? Fulfilling the purposes of God through everything... Oh, did it say you? I thought it was what we do. So we move from I to we. Corporately, there is a change, yes? So let me help you. I'm going to let me just give me a couple of minutes on this just to play. I'm allowed a rabbit trail every now and then. Who are these two who are on the road? And why is it so important that he arrests them? Because it mentions who he is. His name is Cleopas. Anybody heard of Cleopas? I hadn't heard of Cleopas. I've read the scripture loads of times, but you just, it's just another name, and Fred. Until you start to look at who Cleopas is. Now, I'm glad you've asked me, so who is Cleopas, Phil? You now have to step out of scripture into extra-biblical evidence. Cleopas historically, is the brother of one key fellow. And that one key fellow is Joseph, the carpenter. Jesus arrests his own uncle and sends him back. 
Oh, but Phil, surely there must be more than that, for there were two of them. Have you read the story of Round the Cross? There was Mary, John, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, wife of Cleopas. Kinti was already at the cross. They're arrested and turned round. Oh, and they had a son. He's called Simeon. And according to Eusebius's history and easy, 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 classical, easy what's that word? That's the one, Chris. I'll put the mic near Chris. Easy, classical. I think it's some kind of Russian weapon. His son in church history took over the church after the death of James. But that's for another day. That's just the Brucey bonus for you, that. But he arrests them and he turns them around. So you just think, they're walking along and Jesus joins them. Where are you going, guys? Emmaus. What's going on? And what is their response? The pant- you can see them, can't you? Slapping their own foreheads. Where have you been? Are you a visitor to Jerusalem? Do you not know what's going on? Because remember our story. We already set the backdrop, don't we? Everything has been upside down. This is not something that's hidden. What and who are you talking about? Their lack of hope reduced their spiritual clarity. Why? For there was a man called Jesus, a prophet, mighty in word and deed. They have already reduced him back to a prophet. We had hoped he was the one. Has anybody ever heard that? You know, girls, you've been out, you've been on your girly night, you've done whatever. I'm just like, I think he's the one. He's the one. He brushes his tooth. He's from Mosley. He brushes his tooth. You listen to what Phil preached last time, so he used a bit of deodorant. Oh, he's the one. He's special. These said, we hoped that he was the one. We hoped that he would redeem Israel. For everybody had lost that this was not about mankind, the salvation. They still believe it's a political movement to see the Romans overthrown. They want to see things come back to power. So when hope is lost, so is your perspective. Come on, tell me. Tell, there must be an amen somewhere. That when you lose hope and you lose focus... All perspective goes out the window. Everybody's a liar. It'll never work. It can't be changed. There's no hope in anything. You know, Scripture says, hope deferred or lost makes the heart sick. And out the overflow of the heart, where is my treasure? So guard your heart, for out of it is the wellspring of life. Yes? So hope deferred makes the heart sick, but hope answered is to you like the tree of life. So hope's all been lost, hasn't it? So Jesus turns around and he answers them. He says, How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. The Christ must suffer. 
instantly puts it back on its correct footing. You said prophet, and I didn't call you a div. I just corrected you without making an argument out of it, yes? So he brings them back, and he said he sets them in that place. The problem with us isn't always our hearts. It's our lack of understanding. When Jesus reveals the truth, don't fight against him. He's only going to be one loser, and it's not him. Do you know that? And it says that he explains from the scriptures, from Moses and the prophets, about himself. Jesus always takes you back to the word. He doesn't take you back to an experience. He doesn't take you back to an opinion. He takes you back to the word and he opens their minds to receive understanding. We've not got time, but you look from the resurrection moving forward when he met a group of people and he opened their minds to understand the scripture and he opens their minds to understand the scripture. I'll give you the spirit of truth that he will lead you into all truth. The job that he started from the resurrection, he's still continuing so we don't have to be ignorant. I'll shout near the back. We don't need to be ignorant. He's opening the word to us and he's opening our understanding. Unless the church begins to see and internalize the word, the written word and the living word, we will never come to the knowledge of truth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Elvis has turned up now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's not left the building yet. We're still all right. Let a man study to find himself approved. Very interesting scripture. I woke up this morning. I'm glad I woke up, still here. You know, that's why, that's why Proverbs turns around and says that, you know, if you wake in the morning, you have breath. There is hope. I can go again. I can fix maybe what wasn't there. If I wake in the morning, there's hope. What kind of day are you having? A hopeful one. Why? I woke up. It's a good start. And there is breath still in my body. But I woke this morning with this thought in my head. Hebrews 5 says this. We have much to say to you, but it's hard to make clear as you no longer try to understand. One translation says, have become dull of hearing. He's looking to bring understanding, but you don't try to understand. The stork knows their season, but my people don't know the requirements of the Lord. He's moving us towards something. So let me get on my orange box for a minute. Am I all right? Am I allowed an orange box just for a minute? Personally, I feel it's one of the greatest lacks in the body of Jesus Christ globally at this moment in time. Soon-fed believers who cannot apply the word or distinguish good from evil for themselves. Why? Because we have no understanding of the word. Why do we have no understanding of the word? Because we are not found in the word. Oh, I've got me every day with Jesus. I read the latest book. I listened on a Sunday. Does not make you a man or woman of the word. 
What makes you a man or woman of the word is finding yourself in the word, the word in you, and remembering that there is the word and the word. The way I treat the word is the way I treat the word. So when I'm dismissive and push it to one side, flick through with my one verses a day, I flick through with, well, I've read my fridge magnet. I'm all right. I believe that promise. Amen. I'll hold on to that. We will be found wanting. We will misinterpret. We will misread the seasons. We will miss the day of our visitation that comes through. The word has to become flesh in you. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst them. But that word must also become flesh in me. For when he gives me the word, I own the word, I pray the word, that that is the reality, that I can mix the word with faith. And it moves towards action. I move from faith rather than have it as wishful thinking. Oh, I hoped it was going to do something. I make the declaration and stand on his word because he will not deny his own word. And he says he will finish. We move towards it. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Are we okay for a question? Do you mind being asked a question? I speak in two formats. Sam says, doesn't it, one thing you said, two things I heard. So I'm going to talk to two groups of people. I'm going to talk to the 11, and I'm going to talk to the 11. Work out what I'm talking about. Okay? So let me ask you a question. They said, didn't our hearts burn inside us when he spoke to us and he revealed the scripture? Am I right? Am I still biblical? So question. When was the last time your heart burned at the revealed word? When was the last time he spoke and you had an encounter? Or when the word was revealed, it burned inside and you had to give it a responsibility and give it life and cause it to come out like Jeremiah said. I tried to hold it inside. But that fire burned within my bones and I couldn't remain silent. When was the last time the word burned inside your heart? Jesus, it says of Jesus, that when he meets them, he opened the scripture about himself. He opened their minds to understanding. He opened their response to the urgency of time. He opened their eyes to see him as risen saviour. He opened their hearts to burn within them. He opened them to encounter encounters of heaven touching earth. He opened their lives to being part of the body of Jesus Christ and not just some people on a journey. He opened the nations, causing it to be bigger than Jerusalem themselves. He opened heaven to be so that they could be infilled with the Holy Spirit instead of it being a visitation. All in this passage of time. All in this just being arrested from where they're at. So they turn back to their original assignment. Now, I am so glad Paul gave that 
we're going to be sponsoring the youth because it's about eight miles. Put in your head, Ashton to Marple. Somebody's going, I can't. Angie's sister used to live in Marple. And I knew how much of a drag it was getting from Jolston to Marple. On a good day, it was still 25 minutes in the car. They've already left Jerusalem and walked the seven miles in the first place in the heat of the day. Right, who's been? You've been to, you've been to Spain. You've been to Mallorca. You've been to Cyprus. You've been anywhere that's hot. And you just decide, I'll have a bit of a potter about. Within half an hour, are you not looking for a, a cacophony where you think, where can I get a drink? Sit down in the shade. They sell walls in Greece. You know, it's all that stuff, don't you? You're looking for an ice cream and something. They've just travelled seven hours, seven hours, not seven hours, seven miles in the heat of the day. Emotional turmoil going on. So you're already, just think of how tired you are. Did they sleep? His wife's been at the cross. Everything that's going on, we believe the hope. Everything's been lost. Jesus appears. And when he's made known, instantly they turn around and go back on their assignment. 14 mile journey there and back. But do you know what blows my mind in full thinking? Not one place in scripture did it say... Where's he gone? They are not moved that he disappeared. It says, read the scripture, and he disappeared. He did say, I'm just nipping to the loo. And he nipped out the back and he didn't come back. He went, he's a bit, he's been gone a bit. He breaks bread and he disappears in their midst. And it is the word that he spoke stirs them and draws them back to the assignment. It wasn't that he just did something wacky. It wasn't that he just turned out to be David Blaine or Dynamo. He disappeared off the scene and it's the word that held him. Instantly they have to go back. So they've already been arrested. These are the first people that's been arrested after the resurrection. He's appeared to Mary, okay? They're the first people that's been arrested. Let me tell you this. God is not a God of abandoned projects. Scripture may have been silent about Cleopas and his wife, but there was a role for them to play that was so important, Jesus has to address them and put them back on the road where they're supposed to be. He sends them back. Now, let me give you a little note to self. If your life has been littered with unfinished projects, I would beg to say it's not God. You may have started something in, um, do you know what, I've had a giddy day, I had cheese last night, I've done something, I've danced with the fairies, whatever you've done, you've got up and you've started something. When your life is littered with abandoned projects, God wasn't breathing on it. You did something and you tried your best. Well, honor that. Great, you had to go. You tried your best. But stop saying it's God. Because God does not have abandoned projects. The assignment was bigger than both of them. And this is all before the forming of the one-man company. 
This is before he's now appeared to all the twelve. This is before and for 40 days he opened their minds to understand the scripture. This is before and wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Ghost comes. This is before upper room encounter. All before the one and he arrests two to arrest the eleven. Luke 24, 44 says this to 49. And he said to them, speaking of Jesus, this is what I told you, I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and Psalms. Oh, and there we go again. And then he opens their minds to understand the scripture. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead on the third day for repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in, the, in his name to all nations. He's not turning around and saying this is about Jerusalem. His heart is, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Amen. Beginning in Jerusalem, you are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. There is a turning around, going back to the assignment, what they had. It says that when you read it, if you read the verses in between, they went back and then convinced the 11 and they said, ladies, you were right. We didn't believe you and you were right. Simon Peter, you did, you did see that the grave was empty. We're back here to tell you we have met him and he's turned us back. Why? Because the work is bigger than us going home. Why? Because we're coming to a place getting ready for the fire to fall. And when that fire falls, it'll move from this location out and almost have the shock waves. Jerusalem was already living in the shock waves. Let's just revisit our story for a moment. He's on the cross. It is finished. When he says it is finished, an earthquake breaks out in Jerusalem. I think even if I wasn't at the crucifixion, I might be taking notice of that day. It says that while he was on the cross, the sun stopped shining and it became dark. It might have got my attention. Oh, and then within the Holy of Holies, the curtain that was woven that says historically was at least the thickness of a man's hand, that had oxen pull it together when it was woven so that not one speck of light could come through it, that it took 80 priests to raise in the air because it was that heavy, was torn from top to bottom, making access back into the way where only one man per year could ever go. Access to the mercy seat was made. I think that day may have been a special day. They were arrested in that history. So the father was never looking to say, this is just about Jerusalem. Do you know there is a scripture, let me just again, rabbit trail, step over here and I'll step back in. The scripture turns around and says, pray for the peace of... Jerusalem. Yes? We pray for peace because if there's no peace, you cannot build. The scripture also says this, and I will make my house the house of prayer. Yes? So Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, the starting point, is the central point where prayer for the nations was to go. It has now turned that all the nations must now pray for Jerusalem. Something changed. 
So let me just share this one thing. Let me share this one thing with you. The release of the fire that the Holy Ghost is bringing is for the birthing of reformers in our generation. Reformers are people who don't stick with the status quo, but are willing to swim against the tide and see something changed. Yes? Now the issue is, <laughs> that's you opening the window there. The issue is, is he speaking to you and me when he says he's looking for reformers? But let me finish with a statement. Might make two statements, can't do a Tony. I'm not finishing, I'll carry on. Rewind the tape, Phil did not say I'll finish with a statement. I've got time to make a couple of statements. There are nine Gospels that Paul preaches the Apostle Paul sets blueprints for nine Gospels throughout his writings in the New Testament. I'll let you play with that one, do your own homework. But the first three that he proclaims is the Gospel of Salvation. We all in? So I accept Jesus Christ as my own personal Saviour. Did that actually mean I came to faith or I just believed that he is... If you confess with your heart and believe that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's quite a basic buying factor. But that's a gospel. The next gospel is the gospel of the victorious Christian life. So I start to overcome habits, sin, obstacles in my life, and I start to apply some of the principles that he says are mine by right. So we know about the gospel of the victorious Christian living. Is that You still with me? Okay. The next one is this. The gospel of provision stroke blessing. That when I come to salvation, I'm moving into a victorious Christian living. I start to find that by applying principles, my life changes and I find myself blessed. Is there anybody ever been there? I'm talking to the right group of people, aren't I? That I am blessed. I understand that when I honour, I honour. I understand that the law of forgiveness, that when I forgive, I'm forgiven. There are principles that bring me into blessing and prosperity. And remember, prosperity is only, it's one-seventh of what the Bible says prosperity is. Money and wealth is only one-seventh of what prosperity is. Okay? So you might go, I'm skinned. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you are not blessed and not prosperous. You can buy the best bed, but can you buy sleep? You can buy the best doctor, but can you buy health? You can be, what do you want to call being prosperous? I start with every day, I am a wealthy man. Why? Because I started with breath in my bones. And I'll start from there. Yes? Those three are meant to be the springboard that take you into the gospel of the kingdom. But we will propagate and live with the first three stages. I'm saved. I've overcome my habits. And from there, I believe I'm blessed. Right? 
So get out of your selfishness and get back on the road you're supposed to be and get back on with the assignment because it's bigger than you and Jerusalem. And when he opens my mind and heart to understand the scriptures, I move in a different way because it's not about me. Right, so it's, it's not about us, it seems that we're in agreement. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about him, the destiny and purposes that God has for our lives, for our community, for our city, for our nation. Amen. Amen. You must retrace your steps. I don't know about you, I've got one of those really annoying sat-navs. And why it's really annoying is because the name on my sat-nav is Dan. So I've got a sat-nav called Dan, who goes on like Dan. Who always feels like it knows everything. And do you know the worst bit about the sat-nav is that when you think you're going in the right direction... And Dan shouts out from your dashboard, turn around where possible. (laughs) But I don't want to turn around where possible. I want to go that way. But the sat-nav goes, I know better than you. Turn around where possible. And I hope and pray this morning that if nothing else, the Holy Ghost arrests us with our spiritual sat-nav and says, maybe some of, us, some of us need to turn around and connect back to the original assignment and move to where the place is I'm looking to pour out on you so that your life will change. And if your life will change, those around you will change. And if those around you change, those around them will change. And then we've moved from the upper room to the temple, the marketplace, house to house, every house, fill the city, and the men who turn the world upside down have come here also. I was so blessed this morning. You might not have been blessed because you weren't in our prayer meeting, but we had a blessed time in the early morning prayer meeting. And people were talking and saying, I shared with this lady... Chris, uh, Kath prayed for a lady, didn't want to go. She sat on a sofa. She led her to the Lord. Amen. All heaven rejoiced even when you don't. She leads her to the Lord. She sees her filled with the Holy Ghost. And she had an encounter. Other people were having encounters this week. And it all started with that domino effect of you again connecting back to the original purpose. Pastor Tony's been using the scripture. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. But you said... Oh, we don't want to say that bit. But you said, we will not walk in it. So I'm going this way, for there is a way that sees right to a man but leads to death. And the Holy Ghost says, turn around... Where possible, go back to the crossroads, get back on the official assignment and get going where where I've told you to go. Because guess what? Whether it's a year, two years, five years, ten years in your life, he will still address you and send you back to the assignment because he has no unfinished project. Who lost? You. God doesn't lose. He doesn't live in time. I'm here going, oh, I've got five minutes left, 37 seconds. God lives in eternity. He's not in a rush. 
He's at the end, the middle and the beginning all at the same time. It's your clock that's ticking, as Pastor Tony would say. But what caused you to get lost on the way? What caused you to lose hope? And what caused you to reduce him? For he's now a prophet. He was a good man. He was the man that we read in the story in the, from the scriptures. I remember going to Sunday school. Where does the Christ get re-established in your heart? So finish on this note. Now we're finishing. Look, it's all closed. Finished. Look, finished. The followers had been on the inside. They knew about the resurrection. They knew Jesus personally. And they knew all of the events. So they're not strangers. They lost hope and reduced Jesus to a prophet. Jesus had to arrest them and bring them back into the light and into understanding. They had to retrace their steps and go back. But I'm tired. It's a long way. I've got a blister. I've not got the right shoes on. I'm hot. I'm chafing. My thighs rubbing. Any excuse you want, they had to return. They share the truth they have received with those who haven't. Jesus lifts them from the mentality of being in a village to a global perspective. For this message is for the nations of the world. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Pastor Tony made a statement last week. Wrote it down. It was memorable for once. No, it was, it, he made a statement. He just picked up on a couple of groups. He turned around and said, Zambia still needs a message. Zimbabwe needs a message. Somebody shouted, Kenya needs a message. Ghana needs a message. I had one. Thailand still needs a message. UK needs a message. But to have a message, it also needs a messenger. Get back to the original assignment. This is never about building the dream center. This is all about connecting back to what his heart is and seeing others come into the light as you're in the light. Come on, let's stand to our feet. If the church is to connect to a God-given assignment, it needs to be touched by and touch the fire. And he says, I am going to equip you with all the tools that he's needed. All right, okay. I am going to equip you with all the tools that's needed. And they, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Get to Acts 4. By the time the Holy Ghost falls again and the Holy Ghost falls and they stepped out in boldness. Not boldness. Boldness. Don't want to embarrass her in any way, shape or form because you know she's a quiet lady. But this week, this lady of mine comes back and she says, I don't know what's happened to it. There is a boldness that's come upon. I'm in the gym. I talk for half an hour. I'm telling the girls I'm doing this. Because if you will allow yourself 
just to turn round where possible, put your feet back on the journey and start to retrace your steps, he'll meet you again. I said he'll meet you again and we're not talking about special ones. We're talking about he'll meet you. Jesus left Jerusalem and all that was happening to find the two to send them back. Oh my God, are you the two? Are you part of that group that God's going to turn around and say, I want to lay my hands on you. I want to touch you with my fire. Why? So that you can accurately represent me. That it's not about a gospel of salvation. It's not about the glorious Christian living. It's not about prosperity. It's the fact that you are a carrier of fire. That you are a reformer. That you are a mini Jesus Christ. That the DNA of heaven is bursting and living inside of you. It's just looking to break out. So turn around again and go back to your assignment. You've been going the wrong way for so long. Retrace your steps. Go back. But I pray this morning, let this be our heart's prayer. That did not our hearts burn inside of us when he spoke and he revealed his word. Oh my God, I pray and I prophesy right now over every life in the dream center. I pray, Lord God, as we made that prophetic unction at the start to open our spirits, that, Lord God, you will touch every life. Make the word living. Make it active. Make it sharper than the two-edged sword. Cause it to lead us into all truth. Cause it to walk us in the light. Cause us to be demonstrators of your kingdom. Cause us to be men and women who carry every word that you have. Who cause the words to come out of our mouth. Our spirit and life. Oh my God, they are not words that will lead to destruction. But they're words that will build up. Words that cheer up. Words that lift up. Words that carry the very DNA of heaven. Oh my God. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Oh my God. Amen and amen. And so concludes the prayer of David, son of Jesse. Be blessed. Have a great week.